0: Welcome back to our weekend as we continue our series called Discovery, where we are learning to experience God together. Now there's a graphic that we've been using to help us through this series, and I want to put it back up on the board. And I'd like to encourage you to actually draw this out uh, on the Navigator or whatever you have with you because I want this to become imprinted in our hearts and our minds because it's really a a, a map that we need to learn to live by. So we'll go to the board and uh, you can grab whatever utensils you want, follow along, and uh, we we start with God. And we think about God, we think about his work, and his work continues in this world bringing lost people like me and like you to himself in relationship through his son, Jesus Christ. This is what God is all about. Now, Sunday, that work will stop, and that's when our Lord returns and uh, history is consummated. What an exciting day that's going to be. I look so forward to that, and the more I read the news, the more I think about that, the more I long for that day when our Lord Jesus Christ is going to return. God is also working with us individually. And as Henry Blackaby points out, God pursues a very real, personal, intimate, and loving relationship with each one of us. And part of having that relationship with us is to invite us into this work that he is doing to change and transform hearts and lives. He also speaks to us. And that's how he gets us to be aware of what he is doing. That oftentimes creates a crisis in our lives because we have to make a change. We have to make a move. We have to make an adjustment. And certainly I'm experiencing that. The Compass Church is experiencing that. And it's just part of of life. But when God is the one who's orchestrating it, as challenging, and sometimes, yes, as sad as it can be. It can also be exciting because it means that God's moving you into a period of time when you are going to experience him unusually. That, then, requires an adjustment, an adjustment to God's ways and God's agenda, not my own. And all God asks us to do, then, is to trust and obey And when we do that, we have this great experience with God. So it's exciting to be on the journey with God. It's exciting to be following God's direction. Now, this weekend, I want to talk specifically about the invite piece, the fact that God invites each one of us into his work. Now, think about that for a moment, because that's huge. That's amazing. That the God of the universe, the infinite, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present God invites you and me to join him in his work to change the world. I suggest to you that's the only reason he leads us here, is to join him in doing his work to change the world. God wants us to be with him in this work. Did you catch that? God invites us to be with him, to join him in the work. God does not invite us to do the work for him. And there's a huge difference between doing the work for God and doing the work with God. When I think about doing something for God, I think about the fact that the responsibility and the effort rests with me. Now God's calling us to do a divine supernatural work. If we attempt to do it in our own strength, we are going to fail. When I think about David going against Goliath, David knew that it wasn't him. It wasn't David who had the strength and the capacity. It was God. He had all all of his faith in God. Go back and read that story. And he knew that God was the one who was going to deliver the giant into his hands. Same thing is true for you and me. I cannot do God's work in my own strength. I need God. And so when I do it with God, it means that God has the responsibility and God is going to provide the strength. And that is, just a, that is just a great joy. And Jesus understood that. And I want us to go back and look at a passage we talked about in week one. It's found in the Gospel of John, John chapter 5, verse 16. And let's see how, how Jesus did his work, the work of God, with the Father, In verse 16, it says, So the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. But Jesus replied, My father is always working, and so am I. So the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. For he not only broke the Sabbath, he called God his father, thereby making himself equal with God. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Now, if you have your, your Bibles available or if you're using some kind of electronic form and you can highlight that or underline that phrase, we're going to be camping there uh, this weekend. Jesus says that he only does what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he is doing. In fact, the father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man. Then you will be truly astonished. Then you will truly be astonished. Again, he does only what he sees the father doing. In a sense, what Jesus is saying is that the Father invites the Son to join the Father in his work. And together, they do this work. Jesus doesn't do it for the Father, but he does it with the Father. Jesus then turns around and he invites you and me. He began with the twelve, and he invites us to this very day as his disciples to join him and the Father in their work. That's why we believe the church, the true church of Jesus Christ, is the hope of this world. Because we are doing this work not for God, but we are doing this work with God. Now, how did Jesus know what God was doing? How did he know what work he should be involved with? How do I know? How do you know what God is doing and what God is inviting us too. Well let's look at a couple of principles. Here's one very simple principle. You cannot see what God is doing until you stop doing what you're doing. Think about that. I cannot see what God is doing until I stop doing what I am doing. I want to read to you uh, uh, several passages out of the Gospel of John and As I read these, I want you to ask yourself, what do they all have in common? In John chapter 4, verse 34, it says, Then Jesus explained, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. In John chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus said, For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will." And finally, in John chapter 8, verse 29, Jesus said, And the one who sent me is with me. He has not deserted me, for I always do what pleases him. Now, what do all those verses have in common? The one thing they all have in common is that Jesus set aside any agenda of his own. And his whole focus was on God's agenda, I cannot see what God is doing and what God wants to do in and around my life. The church cannot see what God is doing and what God wants to do in and around our lives if we don't stop doing what we're doing. In other words, if we don't set aside our own agendas. And Jesus Jesus not only had to deal with setting aside his own will, Father, not my will, but thy will be done, But he was constantly being peppered by everybody else's agenda. Satan had an agenda that he wanted Jesus to fulfill. That was the temptation in the wilderness. The disciples had agendas for Jesus. The crowds had agendas for Jesus. Everyone had an agenda for him. But he refused to pursue or observe or take on anyone else's agenda except His Father's agenda. Now, next weekend, I'm going to talk more about learning God's agenda because it's in his word for us. But for just a moment, I want to ask you a question. In your life right now, whose agenda are you pursuing? Are you following after God's agenda for your life or your own agenda? I think about the church. I think about the Compass Church. Whose agenda are we pursuing? our own agenda, the pastor's agenda, the elder's agenda, the staff's agenda, or are we following God's agenda? Are our leaders seeking out, God, what is your agenda for the Compass Church? I want to talk to you as parents for just a minute. Because I'm convinced that as parents living in the western suburbs, we have a tendency to have an agenda for our kids. And in the affluent western suburbs, oftentimes that agenda is that they would be successful and that they would make money and that they'd make us happy. That is dangerous. My agenda for my kids ought to be that I'm doing everything I can to help them hear God speaking to them and see what God wants to do in their lives. Remember what Jesus said of what of what great value is it if you gain the whole world but you lose your own soul and i'm just afraid that a lot of us are are chasing the world's agenda and especially with our youth especially with our young adults they're losing their soul to gain something they cannot ever keep i cannot see what God is doing. I cannot know what God wants to do in my life if I don't get rid of my agenda, my ideas, and my own plans. In order for that to happen, though, I've got to be willing then to see what God is doing. If I can stop looking at the world, if I can stop looking at my own agenda, and I can begin to see what God is doing. In other words, you cannot see what God is doing if you don't watch for what he is doing. Now, I love sunrises and I love sunsets. And I've had the opportunity to, Uh, as I travel around the world to grab some pictures. I'm not a professional photographer, so my pictures are not like ever going to sell for any kind of price. They're not extravagant. They're not real beautiful. Not like what the eye sees. But I'm so moved to those moments I have to capture them. For instance, I've got this sunrise that I captured the last time I was in Nepal. And it's just absolutely beautiful when I think back about it. And uh, it... as the sun came up, it began to shine on some of the Himalaya mountains, and, and all of a sudden these mountains that looked kind of dull and gray uh, came to life with, with absolute beauty and, and, and glory, and I so enjoyed them. I also have a, a, a picture of a sunset uh, looking out across the ocean and watching that sunset. Absolutely gorgeous, absolutely beautiful. But here's what I've discovered. If you're going to get a picture of the sunrise and you're going to get a picture of the sunset, okay, you cannot hurry the sun up. I cannot make the sun come up fast so I can get my picture and move on with life. And I cannot make the sun set quickly in order to get my picture and move on with life. If I want to capture the beauty of the sunrise, the beauty of the sunset, I've got to wait. And I've got to watch. And that takes time. But that's when you capture the beauty. It's in the waiting. It's in the watching. It's in the looking as it unfolds itself. It's so spectacular. It's so beautiful. In other words, if you and I are going to see what God is doing and know what God wants us to be involved in doing, we've got to slow down, take a deep breath, And really watch and really look for God. And what that translates into is worship. Is worship. In other words, you cannot see what God is doing if you don't become a worshiper of God. And there's no such thing as hurried worship. There's no such thing as fast worship. Like, I got to take my time to watch the sun rise. And I remember when we went to watch it uh, rise in Nepal, we had to get up at, oh, dark 30, go on this uh, drive up uh, these mountains. It was cold. Get out there and stand around with your hands in your pocket, maybe having a a hot tea or something like that to try to keep warm. And I remember standing out there for a good hour just waiting for the sun to begin to rise thinking to myself I should have stayed in bed I got a long day of teaching ahead of me this isn't worthwhile why did I come out here and then and then the sun began to crack the horizon and as as I just watched it slowly rise and and shine on those beautiful on those mountains and bring them to life you know what it didn't matter to me anymore what time I had to get up It didn't matter to me how tired I was because it was so worthwhile to see all of that beauty. But when you live in a type A world, it's hard to be a worshiper of God. Now, how many of you will admit that you are of a type A personality? Let me see your hands. Okay. Okay. I have been told that I, too, am one of you, so don't feel bad at either campus as you raise your hands. It's all right to admit that, that you're type A, but what is a type A? So I, I thought, I'm going to go on the Internet and really you know, find out because the Internet only, only speaks the truth. So <clears throat> I went on the Internet, and here's what I read. Type A. It's all about time urgency. Type A people are impatient demonstrated by people who, among other things, get frustrated while waiting in line, interrupt others often, walk or talk at a rapid pace, and are always painfully aware of the time and how little of it they have to spare. Free-floating hostility or aggressiveness marks a type A person, which shows up as impatience, rudeness, being easily upset over small things, or having a short fuse, for example. Type A behavior often includes competitiveness, strong achievement orientation, physical characteristics, facial tension, tight lips, clenched jaw, tongue clicking or teeth grinding, dark circles under eyes, facial sweating or fore- on the forehead or the upper lip. Now, does that describe any of you? Kind of scary, isn't it? I mean, I started looking at that, and I just started getting depressed. Like, I don't want to read anymore. I've, my wife is, Marsha's always talking uh, about me walking way too fast. Sometimes the staff travels to me different places. I'm leaving them like 50 feet behind. I got to get their time. You know, time is, is, is of, of necessity. We, I, I got to make the best out of, out of everything. But I finally have figured out. I finally have figured out why type A people get so frustrated. It's because of all you type B through Z people who get in the way. And if you guys just get out of the way, us type A's could relax a little bit and the world would be much better. Amen, type A people. Amen. Glad to hear that. All right. But but seriously, okay? Seriously. If I'm going to know God, and if I'm going to see God at work, I have to stop. I've got to stop and enjoy God and love God and and become a true worshipper of God. How do you do that in this crazy world? Well, if you go back to our, our, uh, our, our graphic, our drawing here, you've got to come back to this whole first step. In order to know what God is doing, I've got to come back to God's relationship with me and remember that God loves me, that God pursues me in an intimate love relationship. And come back to that place and, and reflect on who God is and how God feels about me and what that relationship is all about. Learn to be with God rather than with all of my busyness. And that's a discipline. And sometimes I'm good at it, and sometimes I'm terrible at it. And of late, God has just been speaking so much to me about the importance of being rather than just doing and so i began a practice of of trying to be still and be before god and read the psalms and get reconnected to who god is and how god feels about me and and uh just the other day i sat down and and I had my time with God in the Psalms. And I was very conscious of this whole thing. So I, I made myself my, my large uh, uh, cup of English breakfast tea. I uh, poured some cream in and then two packets of poisoning and stirred it all up. And I, I got my uh, iPad out and I went to Psalm 63. And I just want to read a portion of it to you. Listen to what it says here. It says, oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your glory and power. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live. Lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night because you are my helper. I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. And as I read that slowly and as I read that carefully, I got choked up. And actually the first verse caught me where it just simply says, Oh God, you are my God. And I thought, that's true for me. The God of the universe is my God. My Abba, my Daddy, my Father. And how often I just rush out of the door without that sense of centering, that sense of being with God. The God of the universe is my God. It's your God. I mean, just think about that. He's engaged you in this in this personal relationship. He wants to he wants to be with you. And when you know that someone wants to be with you so much, you want to be with them. I remember when I first met Marcia. Man, I I felt head over heels in love with that woman and I just wanted to be with her all the time. And you know, I could go shopping with her for two hours, and it felt like two seconds. I could watch her try on sunglasses for an hour and not buy one pair, and it was an absolute joy and delight. I mean, it wouldn't have bothered me to sit a whole day and watch paint dry as long as she was sitting next to me. Because I was just so enamored with her, so taken up with who she was and how exciting this relationship is going to be. And how many of us remember those early days in our relationship with God when we were so excited about who he was and what he meant and our salvation and and all that goes with that. But what happens you know, we get busy with our agenda. We get busy providing. We get busy with success, with life and hurriedness. And just like with our loved ones, we start taking them for granted. Oh, they're always there. We start drifting away. We do the same thing with God. The only way to stop it is you've got to just, you've got to discipline yourself. Just like in your own relationships. Relationships marriage, friendships, parenting, whatever it is, got to discipline yourself to say, you know what, I'm putting the cell phone away, I'm putting the emails away, I'm putting all the agenda away, and I'm just going to park it and be with this person. Be with God. You cannot hurry the sunrise, and you cannot hurry the sunset. You've got to wait. And the reward, the reward is so worth Wow. Have you you been with God lately? Are you able to see God? Are you able to enjoy God? Love God? You know, in the Navigator this week, I've asked them to put in uh, some of the attributes of God. I've got a little challenge for you. I would like you to take some time to focus on those attributes this week as your way of worshiping God. Just the characteristics about God. and Just sit still and, and ask yourself, what does that mean? And what does that mean for me? And just learn to be with God again. Just, just recapture your awe and your amazement of who God is. You say, well, how? I, don't, I don't quite understand how that helps me see God and, and, and know what God wants in my life. That's really easy for me. I told you I fell in love with my wife, Marcia, right away. It took her a little longer to get convinced. But I, just, I was enamored with her. And we were on a small college campus, only about, I don't know, six, seven, eight hundred students at the time. And uh, it's, uh, it's Minnesota. In the wintertime is cold. You're mostly indoors. And uh, I, would just, I would just watch for her. I'd watch her come into chapel and watch her sit down. I'd watch her come into the lunch or the dining room and watch her sit down. I'd go to basketball games and watch her cheerlead. Didn't like basketball, didn't care about it, I'm a wrestler. But boy, I, I went and endured basketball games just to watch her cheer. I'd watch her walk into the classrooms. I'd watch her walk down the hallways. And it began to creep her out. Because I was always watching. Why? Because I was so focused on what I, you know, to me, she's the most beautiful woman that's ever walked the earth. I just wanted to be with her. I just wanted to see her. And I remember her coming up to me one day and saying, you know what, it, um, I think maybe you were just seeing too much of each other. Hint, hint. And that was like a knife to the heart. Oh, that hurt me. What am I going to do? Wear a brown bag over my head? See so you come in, turn it against the wall, look the other way. I felt so dejected. And then uh, there was this other girl that began to watch me. And word got out. And Marsha realized what a mistake she had made. And she came back begging. Just kidding. But uh, we got back together again. And man, it's been 34 years this May of absolute, absolute joy and wonderful marriage. You see, if you love God, and you know how much God loves you, and you're enjoying being with God, then you want, and it's not hard, to see God. To watch for God. Because you're conscious of God. You're aware of God, and, and he can speak. We'll talk more about that next weekend. He can begin to speak to you, and you can begin to actually hear him. Don't you see how the enemy's working in this materialistic, crazy world? He's getting so sidetracked with busyness and noise. Why is he doing that? Because he desperately doesn't want us to be with God and hear God and see God, because then he knows he's in big trouble. But when we step back and we become these worshipers of God, these lovers of God, wow, then we begin to see God at work, and then we're able to begin to join God in his work. You see, when you are in love with who God is, you will always be watching for him. And Jesus loved the Father, and the Father loved Jesus, and over and over again in the gospels you see how how that just directed Jesus vision. Jesus could walk through a crowd and see where his father was working and join him. Do you remember the story found in Luke chapter 19? Jesus is walking through the crowd in Jericho. People are doing everything they can to see Jesus, to hear Jesus, to watch Jesus. And there's this guy there, this notorious sinner, this man named Zacchaeus who is a chief tax collector. He ripped people off. He overcharged them, pocketed the difference, gave the rest back to Rome. But he was curious about Jesus. But he was short and he couldn't see him. So he climbs up this tree and in order to just get a glimpse of Jesus to see who he was and what all the noise was about and Jesus is walking through that immense crowd and he stops and he looks up at the tree and in Luke chapter 19 verse 5 he says he says when Jesus came by he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name never met him before Zacchaeus he said can you imagine Jesus speak your name quick come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Wow. I can't wait to meet Zacchaeus in heaven someday. How about you? I was just trying to get a glimpse. And the next thing I knew he was in my house and it radically changed his life. It radically changed his life. Keep reading the story. Well, how did Jesus know to talk to Zacchaeus? Because Jesus was into it with his father. He loved his father. His father loved him. He had his own agenda set aside. He only pursued the Father's agenda. He frequently uh, took time aside to just be alone with the Father and to worship the Father and know the Father. So he was in touch intimately with the Father and he could be walking through a crowd and the Father could say to him, look up the tree, there's a guy there that I've been working with and I want you to finish the job. And Jesus just stopped and said, Zacchaeus, let's talk. Have you had that experience? You could have that experience if you would learn, if you would learn to begin to watch for God in and around your life. Next weekend, next weekend, we talk about how we hear God speaking to us like he so often spoke to his son to know who and where we ought to go and be but this weekend, it starts, it starts by letting God invite us to join him, by being focused on him, by watching him at work and getting ourselves into a relationship where we are so intimate with God that we just naturally begin to see and hear. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for the excitement of being with you and doing work with you for your glory and for your honor. God, I thank you for the men and women and young adults at the Compass Church, many who are so already intuitive with you that are bringing life change by your grace into their communities. Father God, we pray that that would just continue to multiply and grow as we join you in your work and experience you. In Jesus' name, amen.